Well, I'm just psyched about all the Lord is doing. Um, as it seems, uh, even we're turning a bit of a corner uh, out, of, out of the past two years. What a joy. A um, couple other things. We have a silent retreat coming up on the 28th. That is this Friday. Uh, so if you are kind of wanting to step back and sit with the Lord for a little bit, we've got a silent retreat planned for this Friday. You can find all the details for that on the uh, uh, What's Happening page and sign up for that. Uh, the second is membership class is this uh, Sunday during second service coming up on the 30th. Uh, if you're thinking, hey, uh, maybe the well is my church home. I'm not sure about that. Want to investigate a bit more? You can sign up uh, for that as well on the What's Happening page. And lastly, a little bit of family news. Uh, you know we've been praying and, and saying, uh, Lord, provide for our church that uh, we would have the resources in order to say yes to the right space and the right time that you provide, Father, that we would have a permanent space here in Silver Spring to do the work of the gospel for generations to come and see eternity transformed by the good news of Jesus and what he's done. And there's some really uh, kind of huge, um, well, I, there's, there's that church I've been telling you about that uh, this might be kind of a, a situation where uh, we could help uh, support and breathe life uh, in, into their congregation and meet them with some financial resources, and, and they might uh, be able to provide for us permanent space, and, and then we might be two separate congregations and churches uh, living in the same uh, land and buildings together, and man, maybe that'll happen. Uh, so what I'm going to just uh, ask because this would be just a miracle of God kind of thing, uh, that we would just pray. Let's spend a, a minute or two praying right now. Uh, we're in conversations with this church uh, in the area, and it, it seems like it might be awesome for their congregation uh, and their next phase of life and, and our congregation and our uh, stable home. So if this is the Lord's will, Lord, do it. And if it's not, God, give us something different. Uh, so let's pray boldly uh, to the Lord right now, out loud. You can all pray out loud all at one time. The Lord will sort it out, and, and then he'll do as he pleases. So let's, let's come before him now in prayer, all out loud, all together, all at one time. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. You are a good, mighty, merciful, sovereign God, King, and Father. God, if this is your plan for the flourishing of this other congregation and for our permanent home, we just pray you do it. For your purposes to see men and women and kids transformed by the gospel for generations churches planted, the community cared for. God, if this is what you have planned, we just pray you do it. It would be wholly your story from the beginning to end, just uh, beyond anything we could ever do. And God, if you've got something else, we just, uh, with hands open, we submit to your plans and your purposes. God, we, we just want to thank you, Father, already just for the amazing amount of finances you have provided uh, to your church here that we might be able to say yes to whatever you have for us. 
We pray you would continue to bring in more, and, and God, that you would you would give us the right space and the right time for your eternal purposes, we pray. We trust you and love you, and are so grateful to be your church in this time and this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll start a new series this morning in 1 Peter, and we're calling it Living Stone. So it's the primary image uh, in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, you can snag uh, one of the guides in the back. It's got everything you need uh, to kind of spend personal time with the Lord through this series and also for discussion in your groups. Uh, you can get this on our resource page, on our What's Happening page, everywhere all over the website. Uh, you can snag this uh, as a PDF there. There's a couple good commentaries I want to highlight. One, it's a little technical by Karen Jobes, but it's fantastic. Uh, First Peter by Karen Jobes in the Baker exegetical commentary. All exegetical means is we got the meaning out of the scriptures. And the second is the message of First Peter by Edmund Clowney. It's another great commentary. The NIV application commentary, as we've shared in the past, is a great series. And the ESV study Bible, uh, we've encouraged everyone to purchase. Hopefully you have your Bible with you. Uh, we have nothing um, without the word of God, knowing who he is, what he's done. And being transformed by him alone. So uh, please bring your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we can give you one as a gift uh, in the back as well. What word would you use to capture the last two years of your life? <laughs> I know it's a dangerous question. And you can't cuss. It can't be a cuss word. What word would you use to capture the last two years of your life? I want you to think about it in your mind, and you can even share it with the person next to you if you like. What word would you use to capture the last two years of your life? Displacement. That's what I would use. Disorienting, displacement, uh, uh, a displacing couple of two years. Uh, maybe you got uh, a text strand started on your family, uh, kind of with all your family members, uh, because you weren't able to see each other in person, so you got this text strand started. And you, you thought you fit in your family, right? You, you know your family, they're a little weird, but you thought you fit. Uh, but then there's Uncle Bob over here, and, and he thinks as he gets going on this text trend that COVID is crazy. It's not even real. It's a conspiracy, and, and, it's, and it's just something the government is making up to take more control of our lives. And, and Tom Hanks, uh, he's into some crazy stuff. And, and so you got this guy over here, and you're like, whoa, don't fit with him. And, and then you got uh, Aunt Sally over here, and she's still double masking. She's got four boosters. And you're like, what's going on? I don't fit in my family. I don't fit. I thought I fit, but I don't. Displacement. Politics gone crazy. Honey, you thought you fit in your political party. And then the rhetoric of your party and, and, and the, the, the racist strands of that rhetoric and, and the way that your party functioned. And, 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 and then the, the, you can't just kind of look past January 6th and say, no big deal. And you just say, I don't fit over here. And then, then you're over here and you thought you're fit in, in your party. And you realize, man, do I have to agree with the fact that a biological man uh, can give birth to a baby? And then a biological man ought to be swimming on the college swim team of females? Do I, do I have to kind of fit in one of these two? And it's displacing and you just think, I don't fit. I don't fit anywhere. And in your church, 
and how your church reacted or didn't react to, to race relations and injustice and in, inequality and, and, and how your church talked about uh, this politician or that politician or, or had this politician or that politician up in the pulpit. And you say, I don't fit in that kind of evangelicalism. I, I just don't fit. If you're a Jesus follower in Montgomery County, 2022, 22, it still gets me. Maybe you feel like you, you don't even fit in your own family. You're following Jesus. And other, your wife, your husband, your kids, and you're just like, I don't even fit here. And then when I go into my neighborhood or my, my, my workspace, and I, I just don't fit anywhere. Peter begins his letter to the people and the churches in this area of modern-day Turkey like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. He says, and I say this morning, I know where you fit. I know where your home is. You are an elect exile. <laughs> it captures it perfectly who we are in Christ. Uh, we are elect. Uh, God pours his grace on us, makes us sons and daughters, brings us into his family, uh, takes our guilt and makes us blameless. Takes our alienation and makes us family. We're elect but when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and each other. Man, blessed like crazy, but exiles, outsiders, outcasts, not fitting anywhere in our society, maybe even in our own homes. And he says to us, he gives away the whole purpose of his letter in the very last couple verses. He says to us, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Welcome home, elect exile. <laughs> There's a grace of God in your lives and there's a tension and a discord in your county, in your country, in your neighborhood, and in your home. Welcome home. Here is the true grace of God, Peter will say. Uh, here's what's real about who God is and how we live for him as elect exiles. Stand firm in it. Hold on. Home is coming. Hold on, you belong to the king. Hold on to one another. Stand firm, elect exile. Welcome home. Uh, all I want to do this morning is kind of focus on the first couple of verses to give the background of the letter. And then I want to talk a little bit about that idea of belonging through some themes and really the primary image of Peter's letter. The background and where and why we belong. Here's the background. Why? Because context matters. It's one of my favorite examples. Uh, if I say to you, sit down, context really matters, doesn't it? 
If I'm in the principal's office and I hear sit down, well, I know something punitive is coming, right? Like, this is not good for me. Sit down. (laughs) Uh, But if you're at my dining room table and I say, sit down, well, I know something uh, relational is coming. Like, come on in. Sit down. We're going to have a great meal together. Context is king. Context means everything. Now, here's the context of 1 Peter. He gives it like uh, most writers of epistles. We call this a general epistle. Uh, It does, a letter, a personal letter to uh, the people of God from, in this case, an apostle. Here's the background context. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who, what, when, where, all this kind of stuff matters, right? Context. So the who is Peter, an apostle, writing this letter. Uh, Peter is uh, one of the inner three. Uh, He's a fisherman. He's been called to follow Jesus. And and he, you know, he goes from kind of those initial phases of, uh, of being called into this relationship with Jesus to then kind of these big moments of his life where he walks on water. Remember, that's Peter, where uh, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They see Jesus transformed into his glory with Moses, Elijah. They're like, wow, right? Peter's there. And Peter's the one that says, you're the Christ. We can trust you. We're going to follow you. And then Jesus says, well, I'm going to die to save you. And Peter says, no way. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's that Peter who's writing this letter. Uh, Peter writes the book of Mark with John Mark. He calls him his son in this letter. He's someone he's really close with, a follower of Jesus as well. Not an apostle, but someone in a sense who gets all this eyewitness account from one who is an eyewitness. Peter, an apostle. Apostle also captures that idea that he is an authority, uh, one who the Spirit moves, uh, just like he did of the the prophets of old, carries his words to write uh, infallible, perfect words of Scripture, Peter, an apostle. When's he right? Most likely probably in the early 60s A.D. Uh, It could be 50s. The the situation is that uh, persecution has not yet been formalized by the Roman government. Nero has not yet formalized this persecution that will come against Christians as law. Uh, we, we see that Peter is kind of talking is, uh, with all these kind of sporadic moments of persecution, like uh, you're getting talked bad about by someone at your work or, or, or someone uh, who has authority in your life is treating you unjustly, right? He's, he's got these kind of uh, isolated moments of persecution and justice, but it's not yet been formalized in a, in a way that the government carries this out altogether. Uh, we know uh, Peter's writing from Rome because at the end of the letter, he, he says, man, we're writing from Babylon. That's just code word for Rome, the big beast, the bad one. <laughs> Babylon. And, and Silvanius, who he writes through, uh, most likely why the Greek is so amazing in this. And, and uh, Mark, my son, is here with me, right? Like, so we can kind of place by Acts and, and some other historical documents that that's either in the 50s early or the 60s early. And, and I'd say most likely in the 60s. This is kind of in the, the reign of Nero, in the early parts, like I said, right before it gets terrible. Who writes it? Peter, an apostle. When? Probably the 60s early. To whom? He writes to the elect exiles of the dispersion. The elect exiles of the dispersion. Again, the contrast is that of glory and of tension, Right? Who we are in Christ, yet who we are in society if we're living for Christ. Our, our election even uh, leads to our exile. 
Uh, it's who we are in Christ with one another. Uh, in the dispersion, uh, he talks about these areas uh, that are part of the dispersion of the diaspora, like the, the scattering of Christians. The dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, these are all uh, kind of regions of modern-day Turkey that Peter is writing to. And now what's interesting here is uh, the dispersed ones or the scattered ones. It's, a, it's an image from the Old Testament where uh, the Jewish people uh, under the, the reign of Babylon, right, they're, uh, they're scattered, they're dispersed, they live as exiles. Or, or even uh, when uh, they are uh, uh, heading into Egypt, like right before they, or out of Egypt, right before they get into the promised land, they're wandering in the wilderness as kind of those who have been dispersed. So this image is being taken from the Old Testament, and Peter's now saying, you're the new people of God. God in the dispersion who wander with eternity in mind and God's eternal promises in mind and his sure promises in mind but you're wandering and kind of metaphorically he says you have no place where you really belong on this earth as you follow Jesus but then also historically there's something to this most likely as well Claudius uh, the emperor right before Nero the Roman emperor uh, does this thing where he uh, colonizes all of this modern-day Turkey. And, and it's mentioned in the historic documents, even these, these specific five areas of Turkey uh, from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And, and Claudius, he goes, and, and like every good emperor, he names different cities in there after himself. He's like, Claudiopolis, that'll sound really good when I take this place over. And what he does is he takes uh, kind of the dregs of society from Rome, the main city, and he, he sends them to this area. And there's all these kind of massive dispersions in this time, right before Peter writes, where, where most likely Jews, because they could be categorized as a people, and the Christians now that are in that Jewish kind of category, or, or, or slaves and others are, are sent out and said, hey, you go make new colonies in modern-day Turkey, in these areas, in these five specific regions, Claudius does. So most likely, the Jesus followers that Peter's writing to are both historically the scattered, the dispersed, the exiled, and metaphorically, truly in Christ, the scattered, the dispersed, the exiled. Who's writing Peter when around 63 A.D. to whom the elect exiles dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, a wildly diverse area? Culturally, ethnically, economically, it's a, it's a crossroads of sorts uh, in military and commerce. This is a place where everybody's coming together. Imagine the tension. You're showing up there as a Jesus follower, already the low of the low, and you're saying to these people, you guys have to leave your homes because Claudius sent us. And they're like, yeah, like heck we do. And, and, and you've got uh, Roman uh, masters and you're a Christian slave. And you've got uh, a discord in your marriages as, as you're a, now a Jesus follower and, and your husband and your wife is not. And, and you're showing up in the most kind of unstable of situations. And elect exile who doesn't belong who's been displaced Peter says as elect exiles God is up to something this is all according to the foreknowledge of God the Father sovereign over salvation and sovereign over your situation 
He's in it with you from the beginning and before the creation of the world till now. In what? The sanctification of the Spirit to shape us into the likeness of Christ and, and in the Spirit's work to, to call us out as others who follow Jesus, set apart as holy or sanctified, uh, made Jesus followers by the Spirit's work to open our eyes and then made more like Christ as we follow him in this uh, moment of discord to be made more like Christ. Why purpose for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood? that we might be a men and women together who become more obedient to Jesus as we're sprinkled by his blood, guiltless, pure already in Christ, covenant keepers by the work he's already done. The allusion is that to uh, Exodus chapter 24 where Moses takes the people up on the mountain. And remember, we're now the new people of God, as, P as Peter will say, and, and Moses takes them up and he says, are you guys going to obey all ten of these commandments? They're like, we're going to obey and he's like, I'm so glad you're going to obey. I'm going to sprinkle your blood of this heifer, this uh, animal on you. That uh, It would be this kind of covenant sign that if you don't obey, you're going to be dead like this animal. And Peter here says, man, say we're going to obey Jesus, our Savior. But would you know? He's already paid the price for your disobedience. You're sprinkled in his blood. You're blameless and pure. So let that drive your obedience as elect exiles in a time and a place where you don't belong. And we say, man, that sounds, that sounds a bit too much, too tough. And God says, grace and peace are being multiplied for you in the process. Grace and peace is just what we need multiplied to us. As we live lives where we don't belong, longing for home and the day that Jesus returns. Where we belong then, well, where do we belong? It's a primary question of our lives, where we belong, where we fit. If you're an adopted child and you grow up, you often wrestle with this, man. I, I don't know where I belong. My, my biological parents kind of, in a sense, uh, made a choice to, to leave me in one sense, but, uh, even for my own good. But that creates this discord, and now I've got uh, these parents who have cared for me so deeply. And, but there's this kind of uh, discord inside us that where do I belong? It's a primary question of our lives. Uh, maybe you grew up as a, a missionary. You're kind of what, what's been deemed as a third culture kid, right? Like uh, you grew up in the Philippines, and, and you're this American family in the Philippines, and, and you're like, oh, my gosh, where do I belong as a Korean-American in the Philippines? and I'm, I am this uh, confluence of, of different cultures coming together. I'm this third culture. Where do I fit? Or you're a biracial adult, and I sat with a good friend, and he's like, man, I, I'm too black for that crowd and too light for that crowd. Where do I fit? Or you're a black American growing up in white normalcy here, and you're like, where do I fit? This is the tension of a Christian when we're actually living for Christ. Where do I fit? If you're not feeling the tension, we have to ask, am I living for Christ? <laughs> Where do I fit? It's a primary question of our lives. And Peter, in a primary image in his letter, answers the question. He says it this way in 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. As you come to him, Jesus, he's a living stone, resurrected, alive, not a dead stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Do you hear the language? Rejected, exile, but chosen and precious. Elected, an elect exile, just like you, just like me. As you come to him, Jesus, for purpose, for life, for security, to to shape all that you are, would you find your belonging in him first? In who he is and what he's done. In his life, would we find an example to live by? In his death, would we see a a, a sacrifice which is sufficient for our shortcoming? In his resurrection, would we find a relationship that we can walk with him? Would we come to him first? And remember, we fit, we're at home in Christ with who he is and what he's done in my life and in your life as a fellow follower of Jesus because you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. See, you're not alone in Christ, but you yourselves, we ourselves together, are built together in Christ as living stones together on him, the chief cornerstone. So where do we belong? We belong in Christ first, but then with each other. Built, secured, knit together, linking arms with one another. Built on what? The chief cornerstone. I know it's a cheesy picture, but this is, that's the cornerstone, that big old fat one in the corner. And, and this doesn't quite capture it, but it's a stone that would normally jut out uh, outside of the edges of the wall just a bit for more stability. And, and, and this large stone, as Peter will talk about, uh, that God says, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You won't fall apart. You will stay strong. You will make it through until he returns. And then he talks about, and some are going to stumble on this cornerstone as they're doing a different building project, the the building project that rejected Jesus as the chief cornerstone. They're going to fall on him, but you won't be put to shame. Do you get the image? Where we belong is in Christ with one another built on Christ as the chief cornerstone. This is a truth that can counter what we feel in today's society, today's neighborhoods, maybe even in your own family. What's true in our election counters what we feel in our exile. What's true in our election counters what we feel in our exile. Peter's going to go on and he's going to hammer home this truth in chapter 2, verse 9 and following. He says, you, you who are in Christ, you who are with each other, you who are built on him as a chief cornerstone, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles, to obtain 
abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You are outsiders, you're insiders. You are uh, in sin and now you are blameless and pure. You were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had no mercy, now you have mercy. You are in Christ with one another, built into a spiritual house where God himself dwells. If you feel like you do not fit today, if you feel like life is unstable and shaky, and you don't know how to go on, dig deeper into who Christ is right now, right today. Remember who you are in him. And then dig deeper into your relationships with one another. Reminding ourselves we are built on a sturdy, stable, spiritual home in Christ. This will matter. If it doesn't matter today, it will certainly matter tomorrow and in the coming years. When we live out the themes of 1 Peter, which is a holy life in the midst of suffering. A holy life, there's this great passage in 4, 4, uh, and, and Peter says... Man, when you don't live like they live in the world, they're going to be shocked. (laughs) And then they're going to start slandering and ridiculing and outcasting. When you say, I'm going to live for Jesus, they're going to be shocked. And they're going to start slandering and, and outcasting and undercutting everything about who you are in Christ and what you're about. Even though you're loving them the whole time. In a holy life. And you will suffer. First uh, uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. He says, It's coming. It's going to matter that you find yourself in Christ with one another, linked arms built on Him. When the path gets shaky and you don't know how you'll walk it. The image we've chosen are these rock kind of statues. Uh, uh, you know, there's kind of some Buddhist ones, right, of uh, this, like, peaceful rock. But then uh, these are also cairns, and, and those are uh, uh, the markers on a hiking path. Uh, if, you, if you're a hiker, you've seen these before, right? Uh, you, you'll hike the path, and, and sometimes the path is easy to see, and, and you don't have to uh, find one of these markers in order to know how to walk the path that you're on and, and how to guide others on that path you're on. Uh, it's just kind of easy to walk. The path is well-worn. Uh, but the path we walk in Christ, man, it needs markers, and needs reminders that, that we are in Christ. We are built on one another. Uh, Courtney and I took this trip to Colorado a couple years back and, and got a few days there, and we said, hey, uh, we want to hike a 14er. It's going to be awesome. So we said, let's do it. Uh, so w- we decided to hike uh, the Mount of the Holy Cross. And so uh, if you look at the reviews, it's like uh, uh, one of the most challenging 14ers I've seen, but one of the most beautiful. And we're like, we got this. And so we do it. We get up early. We drive our little rental car out there. We get to the trailhead, and we start hiking. And you get to the first peak. You're like, this is probably it. And you're like, oh, wait. And you see through the trees the peak of Mount of the Holy Cross. And it's like way up there. And you're like, 
here we go, we got this, right? And it's beautiful out when we start hiking. And so we're hiking up there, and then we get to the tree line, and we're like, oh, man, we're really tired. And our water's kind of going down. And, and, but the whole time we're walking on the path, it's easy to see. And, and, but then it's just like boulders and rocks. And we're like, oh, my goodness. And we hike our way up to the top. But at the top, we're like, oh, we're just like lying up there. It's gorgeous, but we're beat. And we're nearly out of water. And then we start hiking down. And, and, and Cora at this point is getting a little kind of tense, too, a little scared of some of the hiking. Now it's pretty treacherous. And, and we start kind of, because it's just rocks, right? We're just losing our way. And, and we're kind of heading down. And, and at times she's like, I need to just lay down for a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a bad idea. We probably shouldn't stop and just lay down. And there, no joke, there's a thunderstorm brewing. And I'm like, we got to get going. She's like, I don't even think we're on the path. <laughs> so the altitude sickness is kicking in. We're literally, she's, she especially, is walking like this. And we, we're not even on the path as we head down. And then we start, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I just start looking around for the cairns because we got to get back on the path because we got to get down this mountain because a thunderstorm is coming. My wife is suffering from altitude sickness, and it's not good. And so I find the cairns, and we walk towards them. When we make, and sometimes I'm holding her a little bit, and then sometimes she's like, "I'm fine," and then she'll like snap back into it, and then she's like, "Maybe I should lay down again." I'm like, "No, let's." And we get down the mountain. I'm not quite sure in your life right now where you're like, "Oh man, I cannot go on. I don't fit in my family." Man, I don't even feel like I fit in my church. I don't fit at work. I don't fit in my marriage. I can't keep living for Jesus. How am I going to get through this? And here's what I say to you. Keep remembering, looking for those trail markers, those stacks of stones, this holy house we're built into. Communion is our Karen, actually. Reminding us who we are in Christ, where we belong. That we are built in Christ first. We find who we are, we find our identity, we find what's true of us in Christ first. And then, man, we link arms with one another. Built as living stones into a spiritual house of God on Christ together. And we walk the path that proclaims the glory of who our God is, that others could walk the path. But we walk the path as the, the people wandering as the dispersed today, knowing that His eternal promises are sure because of who He is and what He's done for us in Christ. And we say, I, I will be obedient to him today. I'll remind myself today who I am in Christ. And I'll link arms with my brothers and sisters in Christ and, and walk through and on this path together with them. Sprinkled in his blood, blameless and pure. A son or daughter, now and always. Let's take and eat. If you're following Jesus, would you proclaim that you are home in him now in elect exile? 
And if you're not following Jesus, don't take communion, but, but receive Christ this morning. Come home. Trust in Him. Embrace Him. Let's take and eat.